Hello, and welcome to Angular Air. This episode is sponsored by Angular Class. If you're looking to learn the latest and greatest in modern web development techniques, or you need Angular 2 training, then sign up today at angularclass.com. On today's show, we have panelists Olivier Combe. Hello. Amy Knight. Hello. And Patrick J.S. Hey, guys. And our special guests today are Wesley Cho. Hello. And Jesus Rodriguez. Hello. I'm really excited to have Wesley and Jesus here today. Uh, the topic today for today is how to get started in open source. And this is something that uh, I care a lot about, and I know a lot of people on the panel have cared about and we talked about before in the past. So it's going to be really interesting. Um, and so to get started, you know, uh, Olivia, uh, I mean, Wesley, why don't you give a little bit of a background for yourself um, and, you know, who you are, what you've been working on, and uh, maybe a little bit of uh, your open source history. Okay. So, I mean, I've been doing uh, software development for about three years now uh, professionally. Um, I got into it a bit, just a shot in the dark. I was just trying to apply to everything because I wanted a job. <laughs> and so here I am. Uh, I love doing this. A um, lot of fun problems to solve programming, never-ending stuff to learn, way too much. And um, yeah, um, as far as open source stuff, I contribute to random open source stuff or whatever I find interesting. Yeah, it's cool. What about you, Jesus? Well, I am a developer from a few years ago. Uh, well, I mostly do open source projects. And I write articles and courses. That's mostly the interesting parts. Okay, great. So maybe let's get started to get a, a pulse from. Also, I wanted to. Um, you know, have for the panelists as well to talk about some of the open source projects that they've been working on so we get a kind of sense where everybody's coming from in this discussion. So, uh, you know, Patrick, why don't you start off with some of the stuff that you've been working on as well? Yeah, so um, there's a lot of interesting things about open source that's happening in Angular 2, and that is like the Everyone trying the community kind of figuring out like the naming conventions for Angular 2, uh, as well as like Jeff and I were working on uh, Universal with um, uh, hopefully with, with Wesley. But um, can you also can you like briefly touch on like Angular 2 naming conventions um, that's arising and what are your thoughts on 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 that so far? Patrick, I think that was to Jesus and Wesley, right? Oh, what do you mean by uh, the conventions? So, like, a lot of people are saying, like, should should it be Angular 2 dash thing or should it be ng2 dash the thing? The community kind of started with ng2 dash, um, but then there's kind of a divide between people who are not on the bandwagon who didn't know that there was a, an effort to push for ng2 dash as well as um, it just seems, like, um, interesting to see the, like, the, the trend within the open source community of, um, like the the two different ways. I personally don't like having the version number in the name of a project um, because it ties it very heavily with the version. Like, what if uh, Angular three comes out and it's more of an incremental upgrade compared to the jump between one and two? Then uh, you're sort of stuck in a <laughs> really awkward place there. I think. Right, totally agree. It's better to leave just ng, no version. So, Patrick, uh, you know, for the you, the question was about some of your history, which you did get into. Uh, was there anything else besides um, Angular Universal and obviously Angular Core that you've been contributing to? Oh, uh, was it generate? Was it? Sorry, I thought the question was uh, directed towards me. Um, yeah, yeah, we're just getting a feel for where everybody's coming from. Okay, yeah, so. Um, I've been contributing open source for for a long time. Like I met um, Gonto, Martin Gonto, um, on open source. Like basically, like the best way to 
to use open source is at work. And that's kind of how I met Martin. Um, essentially, we were using Auth0. Um, and I was just like going back and forth, like fixing the repo. And that's how we created the, uh, the authorization uh, modules for Auth0. But there's a ton of like open source projects that I've been contributing to, um, like Universal being one of them, Angular, uh, Angular 2 as, as well as Angular 1. Um, but yeah, this, there's just, for me, it's, I don't see it as, a lot of people put open source on a pedestal as like, oh, you contribute to open source, oh, that's, that's great. But in reality, it's really just, if you see a bug, you could just fix it. That's like kind of the power of, of open source that, um, that stuff like that, you don't have to go through an issue or whatever. You could just, it's, it's really powerful to say like, if you go to a website and say like, oh, I know what's wrong and I can fix it here. Um, or something like that. Is that sort of the approach that you guys take on? Like, so the main project that you guys are working on now for open source is NG Bootstrap. Is that right, Wesley and, um, and Jesus? Yes. Well, to be honest, we are more focused on UI Bootstrap for now because we are about to release 1.0. But after that, we want to push harder on NGBoostra. There's also some, uh, there's a big question about patterns when you're dealing with uh, tightly coupled parent and child components that we're wrestling with in NGBoostrap at the moment. And currently in Angular 2, um, there's a, no real great solution for that at the moment. So, um, so we've sort of been approaching it slowly, uh, making sure we do it right, um, as opposed to pushing something that might be flawed. And um, yeah, so for now that we've decided to focus a little more on UI bootstrap instead. So uh, for, I guess, both those projects, is that something that just the two of you guys are involved or who, who is involved uh, in those projects? So for UI bootstrap, uh, the coding is mostly Wes and I. And we have Adam, who is the project manager and is always on the issues, making answers and, well, managing the issues. Uh, for NGBoostra, it is Wes and I, and of course, Pavel, who is the original YBoostra author. And he's back with us to make NGBoostra great. He also serves as a great liaison between uh, us and the Angular team. <laughs> Yeah, Pavel's awesome, for sure. He, he knows his stuff. Um, so do you guys, you know, the topic is, you know, getting started, uh, how to get into open source. So do you guys have ways of getting new people into your projects? I think at the moment we don't. Unfortunately, the open issues left are mostly com pretty complex, I'd say. Um, a lot of the easy, low-hanging fruit have already been tackled by either random people or by some of us. Um, but uh, we always welcome like well-thought-out pull requests. Um, unfortunately, we're a little slow at getting back to these things at the moment, um, just because we've been bogged down in the 1.0 work. But um, we definitely encourage uh, contributions, and we have had some pretty high-quality contributions in the past as well, or contributions we can work with and help massage into the uh, library itself, like resolving the conflicts for them at some cases and some of the uh, more manual conventions that we adhere to to work with some of our auto uh, our toolings to like auto-generate the changelog and all that to make sure everything's all nice for the de uh, developers to consume as well as... Um, so yeah, we serve as sometimes a, a bridge to help, uh, help make that a little easier. So it's a little more operating sort of by convention as opposed to something like formal, if that makes sense. Yeah, and when you say, when you say 1.0, you're talking about NG Bootstrap 1.0 that's supposed to work with Angular 2, is that right? Oh, no, no, we're talking about UI Bootstrap here. Um, NG Bootstrap, uh, we are in very early stages still. <laughs> okay, so two separate things, got it. So, uh, okay, for, for UI Bootstrap then, um, it, it, it's something that has been around for a while. Maybe, uh, do you guys want to get into how, like, how that all started, how you got into it originally? 
Yeah, so why Bootstrap is, I don't know, from ever, I think. So uh, the project was created by Pavel. Um, also uh, at the Jocelyn, I think it was on the starting until it went to Angular Material. And well, it has been evolving and changing maintainers. So how I got there, I was learning how to make directives. So I started to read the code and trying to write it over in, on a local example. I was writing it, figuring out some issues, uh, old code, static code, and uh, testing was that was over complex or having non-use code. So I started to create pull requests until they decide to make me a team member. Uh, how I joined was a bit more roundabout. Um, I've used UI Bootstrap at various times throughout my career so far, from I think starting at 0.4.0 or 0.5.0, I forget. But um, I didn't join the team till this past March uh, when the project has been dormant for, I guess, about a half year beforehand or whatever. Um, I guess everybody was busy and uh, went off uh, doing other things. And so um, I thought it was a bit of a shame that the project... Um, was in a bit of a disrepaired state, so then I was when um, it was um, Robin. Uh, I forget his last name though. Van, do you remember he uses? Robbie Van Valen. Ah, okay, right. So he um, he was recruiting people to get involved in the project again because uh, yeah, he was trying to kickstart the project back up uh, and get it more modernized, and so. Um, he found me, I forget whether it was IRC or Slack, but then uh, I was like, okay, uh, I don't have anything special going on right now other than work, which was tiring me out. So then I was, I volunteered to get involved and I ended up getting quite involved and um, right now along with Visus, uh and the uh, other person primarily responsible for getting new stuff in and getting, keeping these things up to date. So... Uh, both of you work a lot on, on this project and it's time consuming. How do you uh, manage to spend so much time on, on an open source project and have your life on the side? I think that um, you two have quite a different uh, style of living, I would say. Um, yeah, if, if you could uh, say how you manage both of your stuff. Uh, for me, at least, uh, real life comes first. Um, if I have a, a particular engagement I want to do with friends or anything like that, or I do a lot of long-distance running as well, um, that comes first. Um, open source is... It's, um, if I have spare time, I work on it. And if I'm not feeling well, well I'll take the day off. Like I feel no pressure to, uh, to dedicate all my time to it. But then if I happen to get in a groove, then sometimes I'll just roll with it, because why not? <laughs> So, so speaking of open source, like at least one of the challenges for, for us in the Universal Repo is introducing people into the repo and getting people more involved. Like what are like you mentioned yourself that you got involved with UI Bootstrap just by looking at it and realizing that you could contribute and, and fix it. Um, do you guys have any like techniques or tactics or uh, ways of getting people more involved in open source? Because like for me it seems like the best way to introduce someone to open source is to remove that that barrier entry, just to say, like, let's sit down, let's just contribute, and then, like, walk them through, like, the, very, the simplest way of contributing to open source, which is just, like, a typo or something. But as soon as they, like, show, as soon as, like, I show them, like, it's so easy to do it, then it's, like, it's, like, freeing for them to see, like, oh, it's just that simple, then I could just contribute to anything. Um, like, what are, so I'm, like, like, what are your thoughts on that, and, and do you guys have any, like, because I know there's a, a big push uh, for like first-time committers and everything. Um, so, what are your thoughts on on that matter? So, I think that GitHub make it easy for new uh, contributors because you have the inline editor on on GitHub. But I think that is most important to learn about Git, how to make a pull request from the terminal, on how to push it and ask for a push request on the main repo. 
on, uh, once you have that done, you can realize that creating a pull request for a typo is not different from creating a pull request for a big feature. You just need the same steps. I had a couple of questions here too. So, like, the first question is um, from people, maybe not even, this is more of a question for newer developers, not just new to open source, but just newer developers. Are there any, like, common issues you see that uh, people should kind of watch out for if they're really, really new? Um, one thing, at least I know from my experience until I paired with uh, an experienced developer uh, at my first job uh, was that. Um, it could become very easy to get defeated when going through uh, stack traces to figure out when something's wrong. And then uh, once you do that, then you often end up going in rabbit holes where like, it could maybe be this that's wrong, or this, or this, or this. And then you lose um, confidence, I guess, in your ability to keep track of, OK, this is wrong, so then it must be because of this. And then um, continue on on that logical uh, trace. Um, so one thing I would highly recommend for people is to uh, to be relentless in like uh, you know a certain thing is true. Um, so you can keep that keep that in your mind that okay, you have to go to here. There's no escaping. And sometimes you have to investigate quite deeply like what is the cause of uh, a bug or some other uh, strange behavior. Um, I think being relentless at it is a very important quality uh, for a good software engineer or developer. That's good advice. Like, I know for me personally, the little bit that I've contributed when I've found time, um, just like seeing other code bases, larger code bases, because all I'm used to seeing is the code base at work, it's like really opened my eyes to um, like other ways to write software. So my other question, though, is how much of what some people would call like a little bit more advanced Git techniques should they know? Like, do you need to know about like rebasing and squash commits? And if if you do think these are important, we should maybe briefly go over what they are. So I think that is a bit more on personal flows. I can use some tools to make my work, but perhaps Wesley or anyone else can use another tools. I personally use uh, Rebase when I have uh, all pull requests that I need to merge, but it is also there are conflicts. So Rebase allows you to have your file with some marks saying, hey, this is all stuff. This is the new stuff. What do you want to do? And you have to make some manual change and then continue your merge. And the other tools uh, I use is um, well, commits, um, there's another one, sweet, I forgot the name. So I let Wes continue. What do you mean by tools? Like, were you thinking like other third party tools like uh, Source Tree or whatever, or all on the command line, you mean? I think probably anything related to what, like, if I'm a new person, I haven't used open open source or contributed open source projects yet. What is like the tool stack that is generally that they need to know in order to to be able to be effective? Uh, in my opinion, the basics are um, knowing how to create a new branch, um, committing, and pushing upstream. Those are the very basics, and so. For quite a while, actually, like I was not uh, very proficient at Git, so then I kept those three basic things. The way I worked around it was that uh, I would just avoid making a commit till I was absolutely sure, so that I wouldn't get screwed up with uh, Git, and then like messing up history, and then having to figure out how um, how to fix it. Uh, Although that is a bit um, counterproductive sometimes too, because sometimes the best way to learn is to make those mistakes, <laughs> which I think all of us have made uh, quite a bit uh, with uh, the VCS tools like Git uh, in the past, I'm sure. I, I think a lot of people learn Git that way, by mistake. I mean, I remember I learned Rebase by committing a pull request, and someone says, like, can you squash the commits? And I'm like, what's that? Oh, my god. How do I fix this? And then I searched online for, like, how do you squash commits, and then I did a ton of research. Like, I think, like, the best way or the only way to actually truly learn Git is by screwing up and then trying to fix it. Um, 
otherwise, like you, you only need to know like again like the branches and pushing upstream and pulling. That's pretty much it. Can we, as we're talking about this, for people who aren't sure, can we briefly give a definition of um, rebasing and squash commits? Uh, yeah. So about squashing is when you have a pull request, you can push commits. So you. A pull request can have one commit, five, ten, twenty. Imagine it's a big feature. So squashing is getting all commits and you make just one. It's like you squash everyone in just one. Then you can change the message for that squashed commit. The reason that people want the squashed commits is because all those commits in a pull request ends on the history. So when you merge a pull request, you don't want 20 commits on the history. You just want one. Just to kind of like summarize what you're saying then, so um, like I'm contributing, I fork a project and I'm going back and forth with the maintainer and making changes here and there. And so I've had all these like little things like maybe fix a typo or rename a variable. But then when I get ready to, when they get ready to pull my pull request in, then they have like a clean history. So I squash everything into one commit that's like, um, you know, add feature A. And then that gets merged in. Exactly. Yeah, because I think the issue that comes up, um, like for people that are unfamiliar with this, is that, you know, if you're working on a feature, a lot of times you might, if during the course of working on something, you might have multiple commits where, like let's say for one file, for example, you make a change, like three different commits over the course of a particular feature, and it's changing that file with in different ways. If you don't squash those commits, uh, it's very hard to review what actually changed. Like you, you have to look into like combine those three like separately in your mind, and it's kind of annoying, whereas if you squash them, then the person who's reviewing it sees exactly the thing that's changing from the current checked-in master. You um, can you can use GitHub to compare um, the pull request to the master, and then you get the last um, the last commit of the peer, uh, and you get everything that changed in this peer. And then the only other one, um, the difference between rebasing and merging. Does someone want to take that? I could take that, I guess. Uh, so um, when merging, you have two branches. Uh, so say say they're going, um, ah, whatever. <laughs> you They make changes, let's say, and then you need to get them back in, right? So then let's say this is the baseline branch. Um, then merging, you... Um, it's oh, that's it is a tough thing to explain, isn't it? <laughs> Rebasing is actually easier to explain, even though merging in practice is easier for developers to work with. Um, merging takes the changes, I guess, in the the uh, branched off uh, feature, and then just brings them in. Um, if there's any conflicts, then one has to resolve it. Otherwise, it will just replay the if it's if it's built on top of what's already existing in uh, in master, then it will just replay the commits, essentially. It'll be equivalent to a rebase. But uh, when there's conf uh, conflicts, then um, then I guess, uh, I guess I don't really know how to explain that. Rebasing just replays your commits on top from a separate branch on top of that. Um, <laughs> I see some stuff in the chat here. Um, can somebody else help me out, I guess? <laughs> Well, I, I mean, I think that uh, the thing that we were um, talking about was, uh, generally speaking, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe that most of the time for open source projects, they want you to rebase rather than merge. And I guess the, the question is, you know, why is that? Well, that I, okay, so that I can explain. The reason is because uh, when you have that merge commit that uh, ends up when you uh, merge in the, uh, let, like, let's say you click the GitHub CLI, or uh, not CLI, but the interface on the website, like click merge this pull request, then it adds a merge um, commit into the history. And if you ever have to revert the changes in that commit, then you can actually get into a very huge problem because, um, Sometimes the, mer the way the merge commit uh, replays the history, or um, when you're resolving the history there, 
um, stuff gets very hairy and it's not as simple, it's not straightforward to separate out the changes from that commit from the uh, the main uh, development or master branch you're working off of. Whereas if you're just rebasing and replay the commits on top, it's just a simple git revert, commit hash, no problems, no worries. It um, it becomes very straightforward when it comes to re, uh, rewinding behavior. One thing uh, that you're saying that I'm curious about as well is that it seems like a lot of open source projects have slightly different um, branching strategies, branching uh, and PR strategies as in, like when you're making a change, uh, okay, let, let's say for uh, Angular Core. So Angular Core, they want you to create uh, you know, branch and actually submit you know, PR on that branch. Like, w what is the standard that you guys see, and like, do you have any anything that, that you prefer, or, or you think is is the typical way that um, open source projects use branching and, and uh, PRs for changes? Yes. Yeah, so the most common pattern I see is what call it uh, Git flow. So people forks the repository, they create a branch on their fork, and they work on that branch, they push that branch into their fork, and from there they can create a pull request that depends on the project, a master or a developed branch. That's the most common behavior flow I see. And then if uh, you have to, one thing that I, I think uh, actually took me a little while to get used to is like if you have to update that um, that PR, so you submit it and then someone says, no, you have to, you've got to change that. Uh, what, what way do you guys uh, use to actually update that? Like for a while I was, when I first started doing this and, and Patrick was trying to help me, I would uh, like just delete my um, fork and, and like totally you know start over <laughs> just to make sure everything was like clean um, but obviously there, there's better ways to do that well the thing is the thing about deleting that like a lot of people say like do it right or just do the brute force way of just like redoing it sometimes it's it's faster just to redo it rather than doing the headache of doing it right per se um, so just yeah But what's what's the uh, right way? Like, is is it the git force push uh, way of, of doing it to the branch? Like, what's what's the right way that you're supposed to do it? So, well, I I guess that depends on the developer. We personally, well, I personally force push on the branch. That's fine. It's not the master branch, and so if you need to make a change, you just code it on the branch. When you are done, you can create an extra commit and push it on the branch normally. Or if you want to go simple, you can do an amend on the commit. So you don't generate another commit and then you have to squash them later. So you can always update your only commit. And by that you need to force push the branch. Yeah, uh, force pushing I think is generally okay as long as you're not doing it on any of the main development branches or s what I would call the sources of truth for uh, your code. As soon as it's in the project itself or let's say not even open source, like let's say even for a work project, then um, you should avoid force pushing at all costs, especially if you're working with CI tools or tools with Git hooks to uh, run a particular task. Uh, upon every commit that makes it into that branch because then you can throw off all the tooling associated with it. So in general, like force pushing should only be for stuff that's not in the mainline stuff yet. Okay, so uh, we talked about um, pull requests and Git and stuff like that. Um, uh, in Angular Abadis, uh we started uh, a long discussion on um, how people should make issues, um, how they should, uh, what what should they give you uh, as information if you want to fix a bug, and yeah, basically, uh, what is the list of things that someone should do when opening an issue uh, to help the maintainer fix that bug? Uh, well, you have to give everything you have in mind 
because any bit helps. I get sometimes issues. Um, you have to ask, well, tell me anything, what libraries you are using, what dependencies, uh, if you have a Planker or JSPIN, uh, do you have more code in your controller or service that you are using? All information, because you can have one line of code that could change everything. Uh, ideally, I would recommend that people um, at the very least try to isolate to make sure that it's a bug in the library itself or the appropriate um, source as opposed to a usage issue or an issue of using a whole combination of libraries that aren't uh, that don't work too well together because then oh, sorry um, otherwise then we don't know whether the library is the actual cause of the issue or something else and then then you have multiple developers chasing the same rabbit hole except we don't have as much of a benefit of knowing what is your exact situations then we're stuck potentially mind reading which a lot of times we can't help in that situation because we really don't have enough information to help the uh, report of the issue so in some senses when you report an issue um, you have to help us help you really right <laughs> Otherwise, there's not too much we can do, and then, unfortunately, everybody loses uh, time uh, trying to look into it. From your experience, how many issues are correct uh, from this point of view, um, and how many are just uh, inefficiently too empty? I would say maybe one-third of the issues we get are... Um, legitimate issues of some sort um, but sometimes it can be very hard uh, sometimes some people also get frustrated <laughs> which is also another painful experience when maintaining an open source project uh, because we don't particularly support our uh, use case or we may have broken the unexpected use of uh, the library so yeah it's really hard to say sometimes they actually turn out to be legitimate issues um, which actually happened sometime in the past month in UI Bootstrap. Um, so it's it's really hard to say, though, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think that all the issues that came with the stack trace are potentially legit because, well, you shouldn't see them. But in the experience, yeah, sometimes they, they are using the library really, really wrong. So they are getting a stack trace of, hey, you shouldn't do that. So I agree with Wesley. It is hard to get good um, issues. But sometimes those issues on people using it wrong means that your doc, it is not that good. And you need to make it clear. Also, sometimes there are a few cases where it actually is the API in the library itself that is not good to use, uh, that is causing some of these issues to come up. So it's not always as cut and dry. That makes sense. Um, you know, I, I want to take a step back for just a second and, and talk about you know, one thing that's, I think, important for this topic. Uh, you know, for We talked a lot about some of the intricacies of you know, working on open source projects, but for the people that have never worked on an open source project before, uh, you know, so basically, let's say someone coming out of college, for example, that, you know, they may be, you know, a little bit, but they're not an expert, but they, they really are passionate about, you know, doing something about getting involved. You know, what do you guys think are some, the ways, like, if there was, like, maybe a, a step wise process or, or what are the ways in which they should go about getting involved. The biggest thing that I've seen as far as a detriment is like just a mental barrier because you know it is hard, Wesley you mentioned earlier about just you know wor working hard and just kind of like pushing through and stuff. But that's like really hard for, to do for someone who's new. So I'd be interested in hearing from both you guys about what your thoughts are on for like a newbie like getting involved. I think, um, well, also another thing I, I should say is try not to get discouraged by failures. 
It's even though there's a natural tendency. Um, I mean, I so one thing that I did that ended up uh, how I ended up starting uh, get uh, contributing to open source is really um, I I actually took a look at the Angular repository. I took a look at open issues. Um, I see one that looks potentially easy. Then I um, I look into the source code, try to figure out what's wrong, how to fix it, and if and try like at least make an attempt at trying to fix it. If I fail, then I failed. But um, but a lot of times you just by the act of trying, you're learning a lot and you're building towards that um, the uh, the time when you're able to make a actual major contribution. And then it it builds on there. If each experience you have uh, fixing a particular issue, then um, then you gain confidence. Uh, sometimes even just simple doc fixes can help because then you're getting familiar with using Git. Once you get more familiar using Git, then you can try t- like maybe tackling a bug fix or maybe you could do a bug fix. Sometimes bug fixes are one-liners and very simple. Um, then, then you start to improve uh, and you open a pull request, they get code reviewed by the maintainers or sometimes random other people, and then that helps you um, improve your code. And it's a it's a constant iteration process, um, is how I view it. Um, and that's really how it starts, I think. Just like um, just like improving as a developer, it's an iteration process in general too. Nobody starts out being the best developer in the world. Um, they have to learn programming. They have to learn how control flow statements work and how, like, what are variables, what is memory, what are references, and stuff like that. All these basic concepts, what is garbage collecting. And then they um, build on the, from there, uh, like, like what is a good abstraction, what's a bad abstraction, and so on. And it's, it's a constant process of iteration. And I feel like getting to the point of uh, contributing to open source is no different. Uh, in that regard. I mean, one thing I'd add to what you just said, Wesley, is that you know you should actually look at failure as like a positive thing, especially when you're starting off. That like if you reach a point that you do something wrong, that's like a learning point, right? Because you like figure out, okay, that's the, not the right way to do things. Like, and ultimately that will lead you down the right path. I, the, hard, the the thing that I think is the hardest is if you don't get to a failure or a success, and you're just kind of in this another zone that you don't know. Um, so if you kind of just push yourself and try things out, you'll get the failure. You know what's not you what you shouldn't be doing, and you'll eventually figure out the the right way. I mean, I would say I would just add to it like try something, and yeah, if it's wrong, it turns out to be wrong. But at least you made a choice, and at least you learned like what is the consequences of the choice. You learned something. You got somewhere further than you did before, yeah. As opposed to if you didn't make a choice. Yeah, I agree. Totally plus one to all you guys are saying. Jesus, what do you think? So, it is not all about code. Uh, a new person can simply go to issues. I mean, if you are going to contribute to Angular, for example, why Bootstrap, and you perhaps you see the bit on your projects or demos, you can go to the issues and read, okay, this guy have an issue, let's rate it. And from your experience, you can say, hey, you're using it wrong. You can do this and fix it. Or you can say, hey, that's true. I tried it in my project and it is broken. So you can give feedback to the maintainers. So when I go to the issue, I can see, okay, three people agreed that it is broken. So it's something less I have to do. Another thing you can do is to go to pull request and check what other people are trying to merge and say, hey, I think this is a good idea. So when I go or Wesley goes, say, okay, there are more people that like it. I can give it a look. And if you want to contribute with code or changes to the code base, my advice is get familiar with the workflow with Git, the basic thing of creating a branch, working on that branch and pushing it to your fork and create a pull request. You can always, always create a pull request on any project. You just have to look a bit and there's always a typo. Always. So if you find one, you have to learn, okay, I have a typo. How do I fix it? So you learn about forking, all those stuff, and you fix that typo. That is the mental barrier. 
how I make my change, live. From there, you can go to issues again and say, okay, this person has an issue, let me fix it or try to fix it. And then, it's what Wesley said, you make a pull request, if the maintainers like it, they merge it. If not, well, you learn something. I love when people tell me that I am wrong because I learned something I have wrong in my mind. What about like trying to level up on like if you're working on like a fairly large code base? I always say like start by reading the test or start by trying to break it. Do you guys have um, better strategies than that if it's a fairly large code base? Or maybe you don't. Maybe you just try to pick a small portion and don't even look at the whole thing. I don't know. That depends mostly on the project. Let me share with you how I got into UI Bootstrap because this project have a perfect uh, structure. So, since this is based on components, what I did was I cloned the repo, I delete, deleted all the source and templates, so I said, okay, which is the first uh, component on the list? Accordion. Okay, accordion depends on collapse, so let's start with collapse. So, what I did was copy by hand all the test code. Okay, first test. And I try to make it work with code. I go to the code and I copy the code, the minimum code to make that work. Then the next test, then the next test, until I have all the tests written and all the code written. That way I saw a lot of tests that were broken, a lot of features on the code base that weren't in my code base because there were any tests to test it. So I, I say, okay. Collapse needs three tests. This test is rather uh, dumb, and there are a lot of code that is not doing anything anymore. Okay, so I created like three or four pull requests to fix those tests. Then next component, next component until you have all of them. When I was like half through it, Pavel invited me to the team because hey. You are doing a good job. You are cleaning lots of old and stale code, and you are writing new tests. That brings up a good point. Like, you know, so it was great that Pavel reached out to you. Do you think that? Uh, I mean, so ultimately, being successful, I think, in open source requires becoming part of the community, like interacting with the other people that are within that project. Do you feel like when people are starting off with, they should focus more on connecting first, um, or in that in that way, like get a better understanding of what's going on, or just just contribute something so that um, you know that you have something out there and, and people know who you are? Because I, I can see both sides of it. That if you don't contribute something, you're just asking questions. You know, there's anybody can do that. So sometimes people that are really busy and contributing, they, they it's hard for them to spend their time, you know, helping somebody out. But if you are you've shown that you're a contributor, uh, like you, that you are really trying hard, then sometimes you want to, uh, like the the other contributors are more willing to dedicate that time. Like, what what are your guys' thoughts on that? I think it depends on the person. I mean, ultimately, it's really about building the confidence to the point that you're able to to write something, like some code or documentation or whatever, um, for contributing or uh, commenting on issues. Even commenting on issues um, offers some benefit. I mean, I'll do that sometimes because if so, it it's like that means that you've done some investigation into it at least, and that's uh, somebody's looked into the problem. Maybe he's able to summarize it, um, and that that's useful stuff, right? Uh, it saves people time uh, because yeah, sometimes some people will not report stuff in detail. So if you're able to parse it out and figure it out, um, that helps a lot, I think. Uh, Okay, um, so I had a question uh, before I guess we switch to the picks because we're coming to the end. Um, uh, your project is popular, so 
you probably already had this issue. Uh, when people come and they take for granted your work and they criticize, they they don't um, they don't understand that what you're doing is free and they should be happy to use your lead, but they just um, they are just angry because uh, there is a bug or something. Um, how do you deal uh, with this kind of issues? So personally, uh, we don't really get a lot of those people. If we get someone, is because they open it an issue. Um, we don't understand his problem. Maybe he because he is not explaining himself well, or we are not understanding his problem. And after some conversation, we end a bit frustrated. He's frustrated, so we get criticism. So what I personally do, I ask Adam, who who is a English native and he writes really good, so he have a good way of saying, "Hey, please stop." <laughs> That's uh, a <laughs> good to have somebody like that. I guess it helps when when you're not maintaining your project alone, because if you have uh, other contributors who can back you up. Mm. I think it's good for this kind of things. But even that is a sort of contribution, right? I mean, um, Adam will do a lot of uh, investigation into issues before we do uh, sometimes, and uh, he'll be able to determine whether it's a legitimate bug and tell us that, uh, and have one of us look into it a little further, or if it's a usage issue and he's able to... Uh, because sometimes, like, I mean, when it comes to those sort of things, I tend to be more direct because uh, I want people to at least, like, try to understand, like, okay, eh, hey, uh, maybe you should uh, step back a little, not get, um, I guess, caught off very emotional because sometimes uh, developers can get very emotional. I I'm guilty of it, too. So, I mean, I'm not perfect either. <laughs> um when something doesn't go their way. And so uh, sometimes just uh, you need to get people to step back and realize like what exactly they're doing. And a lot of times I get apologies for it. Um, sometimes they just don't respond. I don't know what's the result of that. Um, I hope they um, are understanding the point that's being um, gotten across. Um, but sometimes uh, there's no helping some. Sometimes uh, these people, they are, uh, I guess, just very angry. Sometimes developers can get very entitled in open source, uh, and that's never a good thing because we're fortunate to be able to do something that we enjoy and that uh, treats us well in general. So it sounds like, uh, you know, if we had to, like, kind of summarize the types of things we talked about for getting open started in open source, um, in contributing an open source, you know, staying humble, working hard, you know, trying, you know, just trying something, even if, if, even if you there's failure, uh, working with the community, you know, what what else haven't we talked about? You know, we're, we're, before we do picks, was, is there anything else that we missed? I guess that uh, Jesus or Wesley you wanted to make sure we talk about. Um, I mean. I'm really here to answer whatever questions and uh, um, that you guys have. I mean, I, I didn't have anything I particularly wanted to say, really, uh, except, uh, um, like, just make sure that anybody who's new into development or trying to get into open source, um, just go ahead, make the effort. Make, like, just try whatever you like. It doesn't have to be Angular. It doesn't even... It could be front end. It could be iOS development, Android development. It could be anything that you like, right? Um, the important part is to just go out um, and make an effort to understand it a little better and try to maybe contribute a feature while you're at it or uh, move the ecosystem forward. It doesn't have to be in code. It could be in all sorts of different ways. Um, at least that's that's what I mainly wanted to get across. I have one extra advice. is not to fear a code base. When I joined Huawei uh, Bootstrap, it was on a meeting. They invite me in a meeting, and they decide to give a component to a maintainer. So when an issue came for a concrete component, 
there's someone assigned it to it. So people start to say, hey, I want this one. Hey, I want that one. And I say nothing. I mean, they give a component to everyone but me because I say, what? I don't know. I'm not familiar with the code base enough to fix issues. Uh, well, thanks to that, uh, over the time, I'm no uh, one of the team leaders with Wesley and I have to fix everything but over the months and years I got familiar with the code base so if you want to contribute to a project and you are not really familiar in the code base don't worry personally I have no idea on how Angular 2 works on the internal and I have five commits already because there's always a typo um, some test file with old code that is not used anymore. Just get started. That's actually a great point. It sort of reminds me of uh, one thing I was reading this weekend about uh, sometimes it's best to go with the mindset of like you, you might not know anything but don't assume that every, everybody else knows something. Like sometimes it's just best to do what you can and uh, take, be confident that you'll figure it out, you know, once as you kind of keep going along, making mistakes and kind of pushing along. So uh, I think that's some great advice. All right, let's, uh, we're going to near the end of the time, so let's move to picks. Uh, why don't we start off with Olivier? Um, yeah, so I have three picks this week. Um, the first one is 2005 in review by Sebastian McKenzie. Um, the author of uh, Babel, and it's an article about uh, the last year and a bit more. It's uh, about his life and how he he became uh, so well known in the open source community. He he is so seriously he's seriously amazing. Like he just yeah. graduated from high school. Like he's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> he, he he got a, a job at uh, Seventeen and or something, I guess. Um, the article is really interesting if you have time to read it. Uh, my other pick is um, the article Angular 2 versus React. There will be blood. Uh, I guess that a lot of you had read it. Um, Jeff had it a uh, really interesting answer to, to this article, so I give you the link as well. Um, just read it. It's interesting to have uh, this point of view. You may not agree with everything. Uh, I know I didn't, but um, yeah, it, I don't know if it was intended to start a flame war, but it's still funny to read. Uh, and my last pick is um, a personal project. I started uh, a starter for Angular 2 and Webpack, um, and uh, I think it's uh, uh, interesting to give you the link here because um, I took uh, example on Patrick's repository on Angular 2 Webpack and on Jesus' uh, um, repository on Angular 1 Webpack. And it's uh, something amazing in open source community that we can just pick stuff from other projects uh, to make our own. And Jesus told me uh, that he took some ideas from me to integrate into his own uh, repository. So. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, keep keep open source uh, friendly community. Uh, that's all I'm asking here. Cool. All right, Amy. Okay. <clears throat> so my first pick is I spent some time um, over the break to do one of Kyle Simpson's course, advanced JavaScript course on um, uh, front end masters, and I think it's amazing how like so many people, including myself, can do a lot of JavaScript with um, like you know what you know when you look at code like that variables are hoisted and like um, stuff like that. But now after taking his course, I actually understand like how the JavaScript is compiled and then executed, and so what hoisting actually is, uh, rather than just like understanding it at face value. So my pick is if you have some time. Um, dig into that so that you're actually understanding what hosting is. Uh, and then my second pick is the uh, JS Remote Comp, which is next week. So I believe that there will be some Angular folks talking. I think like Don Papa, Aaron Frost. Um, so get tickets to that. They're really cheap. And that's it for me. 
also Amy Knight speaking? Yeah. All right, uh, Patrick. Yeah, so my pick is Docker. If I uh, probably already picked it already, but um, you should look into it. You could think of it as components for the back end, essentially, where you're able to have like small containers. Um, but yeah, Docker is cool. Check it out. And um, yeah, it's, that's pretty much it. The, okay. the, verse, the Versus article, that one is pretty funny. <laughs> there, was, uh, there was a lot of problems with it, but yeah, go ahead. Well, yeah, I mean, we'll make sure the link to my response is in there. The main, and I talked to the guy who wrote that article uh, for a while, you know, afterwards, and it, the main thing was that he represented React just fine, but he sort of underrepresented Angular 2, but he geared it as a comparison, quote-unquote. Um, so that was the only issue that I had, and so I, I think with a lot of the stuff that I added in my response was just to have a more accurate depiction of the Angular 2 side of that. Uh, well, the problem is that he was learning Angular 2 as he was making the comparison, which is like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, uh, but uh, I, I did talk to him, actually. We, we might have him on, uh, just because I thought it's kind of funny to me to have those types of discussions. So uh, in a future show, we might uh, do a React Angular thing that I'm trying to set up. So we'll see about that. Okay, uh, for my, I just have one pick. Um, there was a great talk by Pete Bacon Darwin at Angular U last year around June on contributing to Angular. Like, Pete is the team lead of the Angular 1x uh, code base, and he just went into a lot of detail, a lot of stuff that we talked about, a lot more detail specific to the Angular project. And it would, it's just a great talk if you, you know, watch that, and, and especially if you want to contribute to the project. It would be good to get into. Okay. Uh, and, oh, one last thing before we move to uh, Wesley and Jesus' picks. Uh, I forgot to mention that next week is going to be a great show. Uh, we have Joe Eames on to talk about empathy and why it's actually important and will help you in your career. Uh, it's something that Joe feels passionate about. I've talked to him a lot about, and... Uh, actually, it, it is a pretty awesome topic, uh, so definitely tune in next week uh, for the show about uh, empathy uh, with your you know, fellow developers. All right, uh, Wesley, why don't we start off with you and your picks? Huh, I don't have any particular picks, per se, but um, oh, what was I going to say? I had it in my mind. Uh, can you hold off on a sec there? <laughs> yeah, we can circle back to you. Asus. Okay, so I have three picks. One is Pascal Brecht's blog, uh, Through Tram, because when I was learning Angular 2, I had a question to Rob Wormald. I said, hey, how can I do this? Hey, look into Pascal's blog. How I can do? Look into Pascal's blog. So it has everything on Angular 2. For my second pick, I have a pick for Amy. There is a, an article on the Atlassian blog about merging versus rebase. So, well, everything on that blog is amazing because they have the best stuff on Git. So, well, that's my second pick. And my third pick is shamelessly uh, something from my own blog. It's an article I wrote like uh, three months ago in working with open source projects where I explain how to work in the in both sides. So you are um, a new uh, the person who wants to contribute. I explain all the Git workflow to fork the repository and work with it until you have a pull request or even update your own pull request. And on the other hand, explain how you being a project maintainer, how can you uh, merge that pull request in a safe way? Cool. I'll definitely check that out. I haven't seen that one yet. All right. Uh, Wesley, uh, do you have anything? I guess it's just one tip. Um, sometimes when you're stuck, uh, step away from code. Uh, and It'll help reset your mind so that you, when you come back, it uh, 
it becomes a lot easier to uh, understand. You might understand something that you have from subconsciously working on it while taking a break. Hammock through involvement, right? Talk about that. <laughs> I missed that. Sorry. Oh, sorry. I said there's a talk about that hammock driven development. I guess that wouldn't be surprising, but uh, it's something that uh, at least I picked up from academia before. <laughs> All right, and if uh, I guess if the last word, if you guys want anyone out there wants to get involved with the UI Bootstrap or NG Bootstrap projects, it sounds like just they jump on, uh, start off kind of jumping on the issues list, right, or, or and uh, seeing what is needed. Well, also you can. Um, a lot of us are in the Angular Buddy Slack, so that uh, if you hop on there, then uh, you can likely get in touch with one of us uh, sometime during a day and uh, the day, ah, and uh, just ask us questions or whatever. We live. We live in there. Pretty much. Cool. All right. Thanks a lot, everyone, for joining, and see you next week. All right. Yeah. Bye. Bye.